Can everyone really lead? What does that look like? Hi, I'm Chris. And I'm Brianna. This is the When Everyone Leads podcast. We're coming from the Kansas Leadership Center, an organization that recently published a book called When Everyone Leads. Leadership is something you do, not something you are. Leadership is about putting the challenge at the center and working with other people, not just taking charge. We've been sent on a quest. This book inspires us, but how do people actually put it into practice? How does this apply to civic issues? What is clear? What is messy and complicated? This is When Everyone Leads on Education. Randy Watson, Commissioner of Education for the state of Kansas. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Well, thanks for being here. And what's the issue you want to talk about? I mean, I think I have a pretty good guess, but it's your choice as guest to talk about the issue that's on your mind. Weather is always good in Kansas, but maybe we ought to talk about education and education policy and maybe (laughs) things going on both nationally and regionally and statewide around K-12 education. Tell us about your connection to this topic and why it's important to you. Obviously, it's important to you because, hey, it's your job. You have a title. You have decades in the field. But maybe could you take it a little deeper? Why are you so passionate about this? You've worked hard for years to really get the state to think about education and think about opportunities for the future. What's driving you? What makes this an important topic to talk about right now? I was really lucky. I knew in seventh grade, I wanted to be a history teacher. I wanted to coach basketball, and that's what I did. And as I started to teach and work with young people, I thought, well, maybe I can have a little bit bigger sphere of influence. So I did what many people in education do, became a principal and then assistant superintendent. This was never part of the plan to be commissioner. But at the heart, I think, and soul of what drives me is that we're trying to impact students and their families and better the trajectory of their life. I tell young people all the time, especially high school students where you have these type of conversations, I tell them, you know, for the first 16 years of your life or however old they are, somebody else wrote your life story for you. You were along for the ride and you had some input, especially as you get older, but it's been pretty well written for you. And now the rest of your life gets to be written by you. And so getting them to think about how do we own that and how can we do that and how can we plan for that and how can we make sure that they're prepared to do what they really dream of doing and want to do. And so I think that's what drives me every day, even though I come to work as the commissioner of education. I really am a student person at heart and a school person at heart. Education is a big topic, and we only have a limited amount of time, and there are lots of different directions we could go with this. So I'm curious, when you think about the topic of education, what concerns you the most? I'd say in 2023, I wouldn't have said this five years ago, it's the politics of it. We have become very divisive over the general topic of education and a lot of subtopics within that, both at a national and at a state level, and even somewhat at a local level that I never saw in most of my lifetime until probably COVID and then continues after that. So I think that how we politicized what for many, many years was a non-really political entity called K-12 education. If we got this moment right and we got 
past this to kind of a dream version of the future for being less divisive, what would that look like to you? What would be the kinds of things that would be happening that aren't happening as much now? I think it comes back to a few things, conversation around people about what do we really want, not slogans, not things that we have read about. I read sometimes about education. And I have to stop and go, I don't know what they're talking about. I need to go a little bit deeper to understand what is the issue that someone's maybe upset about. So I think a conversation with a building of trust that I can trust you that I'm not going to be harmed by that conversation, but we can come to a resolution together that will make sense for possibly students or grandkids or whoever we're maybe working on. And I think that's what's lacking. We're jumping to quick conclusions based upon limited information that we're getting from, and I say biased sources because as you both know, and we all know really well, any of our social media is a biased source because we only see who we're friends with and targeted by how we do a click in Google. So, you know, Chris, what you and I see on Twitter, what you and I see in Facebook is not the same. We all have a biased view that we come to. And I think we're coming to those conclusions too quickly without having what I call good, honest, wholesome conversation with our community members around what's important. I want to say the majority of the people that we've interviewed have had that same premise that things have been more polarized. Social media has had an aspect in that because what you can see and what you can't see. One thing that I have seen on social media, because my mom is a teacher, so I know the back end of it and I know what she is required to teach and how she's required to teach it. So whenever I hear things like, oh, they're putting their own politics into the education in my mind. I'm like, that's ridiculous. They have certain things that they're required to teach that they have to do. They have certain books that they're required to teach from, especially elementary schools. So I wonder in the age of social media, how can we combat that? Let's have that conversation, right? <laughs> yeah. That's what the Kansas Leadership Center, I think that's what we're all about. How do we figure that out together? Because we're going to have to do it. The social media, the smartphone is such a wonderful device. It does such wonderful things, but there's a downside to it. And I think you just mentioned it. I've never been in your mother's classroom, mm -hmm. but I can just tell you on any given day, she's teaching at, at, at Apple. Yeah. She's teaching phonics, phonemic awareness. She said, you know, it's probably not good that you hit each other, right? Let's, Absolutely. Let's You're trying to teach some proper skills. And that is what happens in kindergarten as we start to develop. But I think if we all say we always have one of what's best for young people and where are we not accomplishing that? And then can we have a conversation about that before we both arrive at preconceived ideas? How we get there, I think it's difficult. I don't know the mechanism to do the community forums anymore where people just don't shout at each other. Mm. And I think we can continue to try and spread that message. And hopefully as more and more people come to understand the limitations of our technology and social media, they'll understand that maybe a return to some of those concepts we had in the past are good while we take, I can Google this on my phone really quick and I can get a map. I don't have to do a random McNally and he'll tell me where I'm going. And there's all 
kinds of great things. So I'm hopeful, but I just don't know the exact vehicle that we're going to get there. Yeah, I almost think every single community meeting now needs a designated shouting booth so people can go shout into the booth before the meeting starts and get all of that out of their system and express themselves and then come for the discussion. Like it feels like a lot of people don't feel like they're being heard or valued and any occasion that allows them to express that value, it's hard to resist. And they just want to be heard about something that they feel that people aren't hearing them on. In your role, you're trying to answer what's best for this whole system that's trying to educate children. Do you feel a tension in there? Yes. I think when you're not talking about a common set of values, I know in my era, if you got in trouble in school, and I did sometimes, I was petrified to go home and I wanted to go home and tell at least, hey, I need to tell you this story before the school called because the punishment at home was going to be so much worse. It wasn't going to be, I'm going down to that school and straighten them out. It was, I'm going to straighten you out Oh yeah. because that school had to be doing what was right. I'm not sure that we always agree on that today. Again, that comes back to, to trust. I watch young people with a cell phone that can be in the same room with each other, not having a conversation. They're all texting. So there's an isolation factor that happens with social media too. And you couple isolation and COVID and we're talking about things that come together. I think that those things certainly had an effect on us. You've already mentioned a few different factions. You mentioned parents, educators, the kids. Are there any other factions that are involved in this issue? Sure. Political parties and gaining office. I think you see that play out more on a national and then a policy scale. And then that plays in how things react locally. So I think all those play a role. One faction that you've tried to engage during your tours of the state has been the business community, which has been influential. I'm curious about how well we're doing at engaging that voice right now. And are there other new voices that would help to have in the conversation or who's not as engaged as they could be right now, but it would help if they were more engaged? The business community has been outstanding, starting with the Kansas Chamber of Commerce, to local chambers, to local business leaders, from large corporations like Spirit or Cargill to mom and pop shops, shops that have five employees. They've been great. And they've told us we have a lot of young people, whether they graduate from college or just high school, that have this skill set that they don't have around employability skills, soft skills. We call them a lot of things. And so we've been talking a lot about that. I think for us today, if we're looking at who aren't we engaging well, we have to think about how we're going to engage a conversation with parents again and community that do not have kids in school. Those two. I think we're doing pretty well with our business community right now, honestly. What makes it hard to reach those people? And what would it look like if they did get engaged? My home is still McPherson, Kansas, where I was superintendent for a number of years and We still live there. In fact, our kids live there now. It's really great. And you take a town the size of McPherson, which in in Kansas is a mid-sized town, but it's small. And the history of those communities would be that most people would be in a Lions Club or a Kiwanis, and they're doing the blood drive. And by the way, we all go to church, maybe different denominations. We had all these factors where there was a lot of social interaction, even neighbors you know, would get together and do things. And now service clubs are diminishing. No one's joining those. Participation in church activities have diminished. 
neighbors don't get together nearly as much. Some people don't even know their neighbors. I'm talking about small towns. I'm not talking about urban markets. And so I think that has changed dramatically. Our opportunities to interact with each other when there's not an event that's occurring, right? A specific event is not as great as it was even 10 years ago, much less 20 or 30 years ago. We're all busy. People are working, moving kids to soccer practice, to piano. And then, oh my gosh, if your kids are young, maybe I've got adult parents that I have to go take care of also because they're not in good health. We're extremely busy, but this ability to interact with other people, maybe outside of our immediate family or a very small group of friends, I think is not as great as it has been in in past years. Assuming that things are getting better, what would you like to see happen in the next five to 10 years in education in Kansas? What sort of conversations would we start having that are harder to have now because of the division that we might start having and might help us make progress? We have a fast changing economy. Chat GPT just blows me away. Oh, me too. uh, Yeah, see? I I, just was reading about version four. Yes. It'll do everything. You can put in a drawing and it creates like a web page. And I'm like, whoa, this is going so fast and changing so fast. So education is going to have to be different to produce students that are going to be in a different environment. Business tells us that all the time. There's a nostalgia around schools that we all have. Garfield Elementary in Coffeeville, Kansas, where I went to school. It's no longer a school. It's a church. But there's something reassuring when I back home by just driving by it and seeing it. And allow me to reminisce. These schools are products of us growing up in our youth. And growing up and having our youth is, for most people, this important time that we resonate and experience with. So there's this pull to take us back to a simpler time. And there's a pull from business to say, but we need a different work environment and we need a different student. Even in Wichita, our largest school district, there's still neighborhood schools, especially elementary that would serve a broad neighborhood or a magnet that would serve a limited number of students. Let's bring families, and many of those are business people, and business people, and let's just have a conversation so that we all get on the same page. I think that would even be as beneficial as parent-teacher conferences so that we have it. The challenge is we're so busy. We're so busy leading our lives, and most of us are working one job, two jobs, and if we do have a two-member household with kids, Usually both are working, and that wasn't always true where someone was at home. So if you could ask parents, whoever you are, parents, and if you have grandparents, right, it's an extended family, bring them. We're going to have a conversation. Invite the business leaders of that. We're just going to have a conversation about here's what we're trying to teach. Here's what we need to have support at home for. Here's what the business community needs. And by the way, if you're a first grader, by the time you get to be a ninth grader, that's likely to change dramatically. Because, Brianna, I don't remember chat GPT being on the horizon in my world five years ago. And it's exploded, (laughs) right? It's just exploded. So Yeah, it's really interesting that you say that because it makes me think about the difference that my nephew's education is compared to how mine was, compared to how my mom's was, which is our three different levels. My mom did not have calculators, and she thought that it was cheating when calculators came out, the graphing calculators and all of that, and I had the graphing calculators. Well, now ChatGPT is out, and my nephew's telling me that it'll create 
a whole essay, no plagiarization. I was like, that's cheating. So now I'm in the same position that my mom was in when it comes to the growing technology. And then my nephew's taking coding classes in the same middle school that I went to that had no coding classes back then. So it's really interesting to see the direction that our education system is going and how are we going to combat how easy it is to cheat at this point. We come back to what do we need to happen in this conversation. It's engagement of the conversation. Let's feed everyone hot dogs and ice cream. That'll get people out a little bit more. And let's have just a conversation. This is what we teach. This is what it looks like. This is why. This is what we see today. This is what we're going to see in the future. And then we can talk about things like chat GPT, things about books in a library. We can just honestly talk about these things in an environment where we also get to know each other. And I think that would be so important. It seems to me, though, one of the interesting dynamics is we have all this technology, which in theory saves us time, which creates time, which allows us to do more things. We don't have fewer hours in a day than the people in the 50s and 60s and 70s had. But if we're not making time for conversations, is that really a question of time or is it a question of values, that we aren't valuing those conversations or we aren't putting enough value in things that don't have an immediate impact or take slower to have gain. Like, I just think there's an interesting question of what we value. And if we're not having the conversations we need to have, how would we have to reorganize our values in order to make them more possible to happen more often? I think that's a good point. I think that's worth exploring, Chris. I don't know whether it's a priority, a value. Certainly, technology does save us time, but we've filled that time with other things. Maybe it is a value. Maybe as a priority, but again, let's have a conversation about that. Because at the end of the day, what is important? When I go back to my grandmother, I, I started with her. My grandparents were conservative, but they said to us, you're going to vote Democratic. What? Franklin Roosevelt got us out of the Depression. And I want you to think about this. My parents lived in a Depression. My grandparents had no job. They left Kansas to go work for a job. So my grandmother and grandfather said to me, always value a job, show up early, work late, be happy that you have a job, give to people that don't have what you have, your neighbors, your church people. And when your country needs you, whether to ration or go, you go, you go serve your country. That was really valuable. To That's not a Democrat or Republican value, but it was Franklin Roosevelt that they admired for getting them out of the depression because they didn't have any work. They didn't have any way to support their family. Where do you see our opportunities lying for education? I think our brightest days can still be ahead of us as we think about these opportunities. Young people still want to do something really remarkable. They still have dreams, they have aspirations, and I think we can help them get there. So I'm optimistic, even though we have challenges ahead of us. And I think the challenges it's just going to make us really have to think, how will we solve these issues that we have? I am optimistic that our best days are still ahead of us in education. As Chris said, maybe we just start looking, what do we really value? What's really important to us? And let's start with that conversation and then work backwards. Hearing you talk about these issues, it just strikes me that in our society, we put a lot on the shoulders of education. So many societal changes and so many challenges. I don't think that lets you off the hook for anything, but I do wonder, do we put too much on education and do we have more work in the rest of society to think of ourselves as partners with education and not putting so much on the shoulders of educators? It has to be a partnership. It starts with 
parents. They're the first educators. They're the most important. Yes, it's a student, but if you look at who wraps around that family, whatever that family looks like for that student, educators, the teachers in the school, and then the business community layers around that. And we all have to be in sync going down the same road to get to the desired outcome. And as we started this whole conversation, right now we may not always be in sync with each other. What do you hope people listening to this podcast get out of it? If they wanted to do something or take an action in response to it, what do you hope they do? First, I want them to have a sense of hope. Our better days are ahead of us. Second, get involved in your local school. If you're a parent, volunteer if you can. Even if it's a day a month at our agency, we allow you to volunteer. If you want to go substitute teach one day a month, go substitute teach. Ask your employer, do you give any time off? And if so, can I go be in the school and just volunteer? Get to know your teacher. Become heavily involved in that. If you don't have kids in school, get to know the kids that are in school and get to know them. And again, volunteer. If you'd like to think about substitute teaching or teaching, we'd love to have you in the profession. But overall, have a hope and become engaged in your school and your community. We need all of us. Kansas leadership motto is we can lead from anywhere. And we're asking people to do that, including in education, every single day. Are you ready to start putting the idea of everyone leading into practice? Join us for a new one-day program based on KLC's best-selling book. Sign up at kansasleadershipcenter.org. And don't worry, you won't have to listen to my voice or Brianna's voice teaching the whole day. We'll be delighted to have you a part of the When Everyone Leads community. So the interview is over, and now we're on the balcony with Julian Marin joining Brianna and me on the microphone. What struck me in connection to the book is a way that we can hide or minimize value conflicts is often time and money, and that came up, and that's just a natural human thing to do. It's an easier thing to blame time and money than actually digging into what's the root of the problem here. Where are we placing our resources? And maybe we aren't being as intentional as we could be about that. I thought, Chris, that one of your last questions is extremely provocative. Are we putting too much on the backs of the education system? One thing I remember seeing in particular at the start of COVID is like, oh, the schools fed our kids and now they're home all the time. There might not be enough food for the kids. And then there was the broadband issue and all these other things that are on top of it. But in itself, is the education system a safety net? I wish we could wrestle with it more at some point. How dependent are we on this system that's underfunded, <laughs> under-resourced, and gets a lot of heat for things that are outside their own control? I can understand why the education system is more polarized now than what it was before, because now I think p- parents at this point are like, okay, well, before we were letting the teachers do a whole bunch, and now I've had a year of experiencing some of what they think that teachers experience, and so... In my opinion, some of them think that they are now the experts in that field Mm -hmm. because they've taught their kids for a year and now they know what the teachers go through when in reality, you had your kid in your home for a year. The teachers have all of that times 20 in their classroom Mm -hmm. every single day of every other year. So imagine what the teachers are going through and that's not where people went. Where people went was 
well, now I'm an expert in this too, and now I can tell you what to do more mm. than what I used to tell you what to do is yeah. what I think. Yeah, it has me thinking we are too quick to judge ourselves at experts mm. at something by doing something for a little bit of time. And I think it brings us back to this question of diagnosis. When we find something that makes us mad, our first reaction is what Randy said was fire off an email and say, Mm -hmm. you're doing this wrong. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if a default behavior that more of us should adopt is when we get mad, instead of firing off the email, if we're gonna write, ask a question, ask people, this really upsets me. What led you to do this? Mm -hmm. What is your intention? One of the things we talk about in the book is that everybody can ask powerful questions. Mm -hmm. Well, what if we made that the first thing that we do? When we have an emotional reaction to something, ask a question. And I wonder how far that would go, just asking a question rather than a loaded statement with educators. Would they be more willing to stay in the game, like Randy said? Yeah, and I think it can make people feel seen. So I'm thinking about how we live in the age of algorithms, and so (laughs) we have these finely tuned codes that predict what we want to see on social media. And we have all of these records about ourselves that exist that didn't exist in generations of the past. If you meet me somewhere, how are you going to find out about who I am? You might ask me questions, but probably more likely than not, you're going to Google me or go look at my LinkedIn or go check out my Facebook. And so you're going to build this roadmap of who you think I am based on the things that you see. You're going to get a sense of, oh, he's a journalist. This says this about him. And, oh, he went to this school or he lives here. And so you'll have this story about me without ever even talking to me (laughs) Mm -hmm. or knowing my story. Being able to set that to the side and realize that there's something there that's true, but it's not the full truth. Mm -hmm. Just because you can Google it doesn't mean it's true. The whole truth. I've actually been given the advice multiple times, post minimally, especially since we're out in the community so often now, I don't want anyone to know anything about me. Yeah. I want people to guess, not to be able to say for certain, it's like, oh, this person is a really progressive person. It's like, oh, maybe this person's actually conservative. He's talking about 2A stuff now. I have an allegiance to what's for the common good. That doesn't necessarily mean I have it for what team do I play for, because mm. I think that hat switches all the time. I think that makes it really hard to partner with somebody like me who doesn't put that out. I want to say that social media is not the enemy. The algorithms behind social media are the enemy. Back then, you used to be able to just see the most up-to-date things of all of your friends. Now the algorithms have changed for you to see more polarizing things or things that you actually believe in. So if you like more things that are about certain things, or if you like more posts from a certain person, then you'll see those people more. And then you'll also see the subjects that you've liked more. So that's the way our algorithm is set now, which is why out of my thousand plus friends, I only see 10, 15 of them ever on my feed. The way that it's set up on the back end and the algorithm aspect of it is what's keeping us polarized. I feel like we need an episode on when everyone leads on social media. We definitely do. That would be interesting. Mm -hmm. Getting back to education. Yeah, I'm struck by the power of the stories and the narrative that we tell about things. We often have pity or say, oh, being a teacher is so rough, but we don't really stop to talk about the impact or the importance of the profession as much. It also occurs to me, this one discussion has had a really wide spectrum of things that we've talked about, and it feels really hard to talk about 
education without touching lots of different elements in society. It's like education is this focal point of which we put a lot of stuff into. We use it to talk about the changes in society. And it's pretty fundamental, as Julian identified, to how society is organized and actually functioning. And so we may just need to figure out how to think about that as we talk about education and also look for ways to be engaged that aren't those points when we're most directly impacted or mad. If education is so important to society, then why aren't more of us contributing to the conversation? Why aren't more of us engaged? If we isolate it to just being about schools and teachers and what's going on in the classroom, it can leave a lot of us out. And we may need to just change our framing and think about it as a broader issue because what we've talked about Right now, we could probably go on for another two hours oh, yeah. talking about this. This has been the When Everyone Leads podcast, co-hosted by me, Chris Green. And me, Brianna Griffin, with production support from Marin Berblinger, Julian Montes, Neha Baruala. Learn more and order a copy of When Everyone Leads at kansasleadershipcenter.org. Suggest a special guest for the full season of the When Everyone Leads podcast. Connect with the Kansas Leadership Center on Facebook and Instagram at Kansas Leadership Center or on Twitter at the KLC. Remember, leadership starts with you. Onward. On the next, when everyone leaves, (laughs) a two-hour debrief.